And Esteban Marconi Award for themselves, winning all the awards. Brave new Ray. I gave them an award. Yo, you did. I did. It's that time. Where is the award? Of music biz. Quick has it in his office. More. Wow, we are listening to music biz when I'm on a brave new radio, 88.7, the WPSC on the FM dial. I'm sure you're all listening on an actual FM radio. You're just twisting the dial and seeing that one that one ping move left to right and hoping that you can just twist it enough to get the sound that you're hoping for. My co-host is under the weather tonight. I, uh, our student co-host is Shannon D'Amour, Shannon of Love. Hello, Hello. Shannon. How are you, Shannon? I'm good. Shannon's first uh, comment the other day, I had surgery yesterday on my, on my foot, my right foot. You wouldn't foot. know it. No, you wouldn't know because my voice sounds so good. But my right foot, they were going to amputate or perform plantar fasciitis surgery. I said, if you're going to amputate, take from the hip down. So they decided to just do the plantar fasciitis because I thought the hip would be too heavy, all that. Yes. So so I told my class on Monday, this is going to happen. And as some people go, oh, what happened? Oh, my goodness. Oh, I feel so bad for you. Shannon's first comment was, does that mean we still have class on no, Wednesday? Yes, it is exactly what you said because you don't I, like your professor. No, I care. And I wanted to know if you were coming in the day after you got your surgery. Like, you need your time to rest. But clearly not, because you're out and about. <laughs> and I was in class today, and I'm on Music Biz 101 ampersand more. And we congratulate Ashley Welton. Ashley Welton. staff at Brave New Radio. All of you won the Marconi Award-winning Brave New Radio. Is this the first time they won the Marconi? This is the first time we've won the Marconi, but it's the third time we've been nominated. Right. Well, sometimes it's nice just to be nominated, but yeah. it's even better to win. I mean, I was going to say I like winning a lot more. Yeah, that's right, because if you're nominated, you're sure. still losing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so we won. The check's in the mail. And I understand <laughs> uh, we won the Marconi Award. I'm saying we because we do have had this uh, show on the radio station for four years. I am saying we because um, I'm fairly certain we won the award because of Music Biz. One yes. more Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. How many years now? That That's right. Tim Geisen's a grandfather now. Isn't <laughs> That's right. Who does our uh, theme song at the beginning. And, of course, we have grandfathers <laughs> who perform Time of the Season at the top of the show by Los Zombies. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have Cindy De Silva on with us in just a moment, who is the manager of the Zombies, along with Chris Tuffhill. And they're from The Rocks Management. We will get to Cindy in moments from now but first we have to we have to start doing some intros so we have esteban marconi the good doctor esteban marconi right. great to have thank you thank you so good to have you here 
The award it's, named after you, by the way, Marconi Award. Yes, it was. Spelled exactly not Actually, the same. Actually, probably was named before me. Very possibly. Yes. Even though you are the same age. And then Ashley Veltner, who right. is your engineer extraordinaire. Ashley, good to have you, Ashley, with her naturally green hair. We already mentioned Shannon of Love. Shannon Diamond. Good to have you here. What is your major here at University of William Patterson? Uh, my major is communications, but I focus in PR. Ah. Public relations. <gasps> she said a naughty word. Puerto Rico. At William Patterson, it's never plural communication. Oh, whatever, yeah. It's communication singular. Ah, I'm a major in communication. Yes. yes. Well, she's not very good at it because she didn't communicate no. that Clearly. very well to us. Yeah. So, uh, she didn't take that course yet. Five-year yeah. plan for her. Five-year plan. That's right. So what do you want to do when you get out of school? Because what is your minor? Music and entertainment industry. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> and where's the focus mostly? Um, in live. So either mm -hmm. booking or production or something. And like the that. internship this semester is at? Uh, Artist Group International, AGI, which is a booking agency. Mm -hmm. And they book uh, Billy Joel, Metallica, Megadeth, big names like that. But then there's also smaller names that are up and coming. And you also work in Montclair at the? The Wellmont Theater. Ah, Okay. Very good. So she's doing the right things, huh, Dr. Mm -hmm. Esteban, would you Exactly. Say? Yeah, that's great. So good for you. So Thank you. of love. And then we should mention that follow us on Instagram, Twitter, the Facebook, at MusicBiz101WP. Go to MusicBiz101WP.com. Sign up for our newsletter. Check out all the stuff that we're doing. The, this will be a podcast on iTunes and the sound and the cloud. And we should give some thanks. Should we give thanks, Dr. Esteban? If you care. I care deeply for Whoa. the first person we're going to thank is Aaron Van Dyne, our friend Aaron Van Dyne, who's yes. been under the weather and feeling better. And we should give thanks to, therefore, <laughs> Professor Aaron Van Dyne to Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management. Right. With artists like Dave Matthews, Kiss, there's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB. <laughs> Hyphen. CPA.com when you're ready. We also want to give our thanks to Christine Vey. Christine. Christine. Vey. Christine. Yes. <laughs> Christine Oy Vey, a wealth manager and Not the president yet. of Oy. Vey Wealth Management. Right. Christine has helped. <laughs> right. Christine has helped many of our professionals, William the Patterson, to manage their investments and plan for their retirement. If you're looking for some guidance on how to plan for your retirement, if you have questions on anything more investments, portfolio management, or insurance, retirement planning, give Christine a call. Add repeat after me. Shannon of Love, 732. 732. 455. 455. 1,500. 1,500. 10. 10. You can also email her, Dr. Esteban, Christine at veywealth.com for advisement. And leave the last oil for safety. <laughs> As you always should. Yes, I have to. Managing Your Band's sixth edition is out. Available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, BackwingStore.com. And finally, our good friend Shannon of Love talked about the minor in the music and entertainment industries. What happened in June? What did Billboard say about William the Patterson's music and entertainment industries undergrad, graduate? One of the best programs in the country. Yes. And that common is. study here. That's right. Both as a major or a minor. Yeah. Or a grad student. Or MBA in That's music right. and entertainment industries. So there we go. That's it. Ashley Weldner. Can we get Cindy on the line? Hello, Cindy. Hey. How are you, Cindy? I'm doing great. I have my partner, Chris Tuthill, here with me. Hi, Chris. We are co-owners in the Rocks Management, which has just... Uh, recently passed its one-year mark of being in business. 
Wow, that's great. Excellent. So we, we survived the, the, the year of death. Right. <laughs> now don't get into a sophomore <laughs> slump, though. Mm. We don't want that No, to no, no. Not at all. Things right. are rolling. Seems, seems to be the opposite. Good. Well, it's good because we're going to talk about how you, you mentioned year of death, how you brought the zombies back to life. So mm-hmm. we can uh, get all into that. But Dr. Esteban Marconi is going to begin with the third degree and uh, ask and you take over questions. now. Yes. Go. Well, my first question is a trivia question, actually. Mm-hmm. And how did okay. you get the name The Rocks Management? So The Rocks. The Rocks is the name of this 100-year-old hunting lodge that I own Ah. out of uh, Sparta. Mm -hmm. And it's been, it's very, it's got a very cool history. I'm the third owner. It's over 118 years old. Mm -hmm. And it is, every person that's lived there has lived, has owned the place for more than 50 years. So Mm. I've got about 40 to go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's great. And it's it's a very unusual, cool, and it's where our office started. Mm-hmm. So we decided to name the business after it, and mm-hmm. it just made sense. It's a very special place. Uh, it's unique. Right. And we actually love your music business program. We're on intern number four? Four or five. five? Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. We've been one Yeah, they're right. Yeah. Yeah. I He's think there were a couple of earlier time. ones, too, with you um, that I gave you. I think they, <clears throat> excuse me, they didn't want to go into New York City. So I knew you were doing good things out there. So I think this was even before the zombies. And, uh, yeah, I can't remember who they were, but they did come to you. Yes, they did come to us. <laughs> anyway. And, uh, yeah. To get started, so um, how did you get into this personal management business? I mean, the crazy world of personal management. Ah, personal management. So, uh, yeah, about um, 18 years ago, I had left my corporate job, and I needed something. You know, I'd actually gotten sick, to be be completely honest, and... um, I was trying to have, you know, I was str- struggling with a personal recovery um, from a autoimmune thing. And I decided that, you know, I had to put my energy somewhere. And my ex-husband had a recording studio in Hoboken called Jolly Roger Recording. And I decided that, well, we both decided that, you know, I should somehow get involved with the studio. And I started with started doing PR for the studio, basically, kind of getting some articles written on the acts that would come in there, uh, just little things. And then mostly because it was a lot of indie music, and at the time I wasn't really into indie rock. I was much more of a mainstream pop girl. And, and one day the right act came in the door, and I just heard them sing, and I was like, wow, this is really awesome. You know, this is, mm-hmm. this is something I can get, you know, I really like. So about six months went by, and... I said to my ex, you know, how are they doing? And he was like, you know, I don't know. I should ask. And then one day he called me and he's like, guess who I bumped into? This kid on the street. And I said, oh, wow. Like, how's he doing? And how, you know, and he's like, doing nothing. Hmm. What? And and that, that became the age-old uh, discovery that a lot of people, a lot of artists, put all their time and money 
into recording something and then they don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to, you know, they're not business minded or they're not uh, savvy enough to, to, to know what to do with it after it's recorded. And uh, I started managing my very first band called Two, worst name ever. Mm -hmm. But yes, <laughs> and, uh, and, and the rest is history. Yeah, well, and that's I learned. Great. You, you mentioned, learned um, well, I'm just interrupting because I have this train of sure, thought. No but you are mentioning uh, something that's important because you saw the band and you liked the band or you heard mm -hmm. them and you had that passion now to do something yeah. for them. And that's exactly what I told what them we I have good news and I have bad news. Yeah. The good news is I'm free. The bad news is I don't know what I'm doing. Right. But I learned really quickly. You know, I really did. I read a lot in the beginning. And then, you know, it's funny because that was just, for me, the beginning of really beginning on uh, of the Internet days because uh, mm -hmm. I didn't really do much for work on the, uh, on the Internet. But, but. This opened up a whole other world, and, and I started figuring things out really quickly. And and the first thing that I figured out was that, oh, bands go to South by Southwest. I will mm -hmm. go to South by Southwest. That's what I'll do. So I did, and uh, and I launched everything from there. And at a point where you still could, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I, I would have them play during dinner time when everybody was quiet and going back to their hotels and regrouping right. and you know stopping yeah. for dinner and that kind of thing and yeah and we we made some magic happen so yeah great great so chris got a very different start i don't uh, know if that matters but no like, sure chris why don't you chime in well i've hi i've always been in the music business i think um i i started with classical piano lessons at age seven with a teacher in milburn who happened to uh the later on become head of piano studies across the river at NYU. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he kind of clued me in at the time that there was something to go into besides being a classical pianist or, you know, a music teacher, I could actually go into this thing called the music business. Mm -hmm. And they had a program at, at the time, which was 1989. And, uh, and, uh, and from there, I, you know, and I was already working at record town in short Hills mall at the time. And, um, from there, I kind of went straight to intern at a booking agency, and I kind of never left for 25 years. Ah. Um, but so, our booking agency always dabbled in management. We had some older artists that just didn't have managers, and we kind of found ourselves fulfilling that role. And that kind of, over the years, pulled to me more. I always felt the booking agency, you would hit a brick wall if the overall career wasn't being handled the right way. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of more and more found myself breaking into that side of it and getting more gratification out of it. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now I'm doing that full time. So yeah. you were at NYU when Dick Broderick ran the program? I was there. It was my first year. Steve Engel was running the program. Ah. And then, uh, oh, I'm blanking on her name. Uh, but yeah, this was like 89 to 93 undergrad. Right. Okay, it must have been right before him, I think, actually. Did you know Dave Laurie? Yeah. Okay. But Dave was not there at the time. But yeah. I the right. Business. But yeah, I think Dave and Steve... Was a little later. Engel, who I was with, were actually classmates before. Ah. Uh, like a few years before that. Ah, uh, okay. So then let's jump ahead, and 
you find this sleepy group in England that's not doing anything or or what? Well, I guess I was actually working with them uh, from a as North American booking agents um, mm-hmm. first. And, yeah, they had come over uh, right around 2000 um, to play a few shows at uh, the now defunct Village Underground, I think. Little Steven was involved with this and some producers, they brought them over kind of as a, you know, early underground garage type of show. Mm-hmm. And um, they, we contacted them, kind of saw some potential there, and they agreed to come over and give it a shot of doing an actual tour. This is probably 2001 or two. And uh, it was really, they, at the time, they were a little bit forgotten. They were more of a cult act. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd just been away for so long. People knew the songs and knew the songs even after they had broken up and, you know, split off into other entities. But um, they didn't tie it all together. Mm-hmm. And it was a building process on the live side. You know, they would they would do well in New York City and Philadelphia and Chicago and L.A. and San Francisco. But the rest of the country was sort of, you know... Still mm-hmm. playing in small clubs and hoping that you, you know, have half the house filled. Right. And was it the original they, members? Uh, it was two of the original members, Colin Blunstone, the lead singer, and Rod Argent, the keyboard player and, and primary songwriter, mm-hmm. um, with, uh, with, uh, with uh, you know, guys that they had known for some time, including Rod's cousin, um, Jim Rodford on bass, who was a member of mm-hmm. the band Argent with him and then joined the Kinks for about 20 years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they just kind of went out there and were, like the old days, building up again, you know, driving around in a, in a beat-up van and staying in bad hotels and playing, you know, as many gigs as they could to kind of support coming over and touring from England. And they started releasing some new records, which weren't really handled well at the time. But it all helped build, and we saw that happening. And Were they on a label? They were doing self-releases. Um, there was no promotion being done in the U.S. at the time. Um, and then I eventually convinced them to actually go through a distributor for a record. Mm-hmm. And we ended up doing, you know, and hiring a publicist and doing these things. And they and we did the Jimmy Fallon show when he was still in New York. Um, and, you know, we did Tiny Desk with Bob Boylan and some really nice things. And they saw everything start to grow. Mm-hmm. It's a real DIY but, story. Yeah, it really is. And it really was them building a career back up again. They really didn't even understand the impact that their music had. Um, but being active and being contemporary by performing and performing fantastically and by releasing new material that wasn't, you know, an afterthought. And then by starting to branch out and do promotional things, they, they really saw an upturn and we suddenly saw them getting, we suddenly easily could book them in the South where, you know, even in the sixties, they didn't always do well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and playing bigger shows and playing some very contemporary shows with younger bands, um, and doing some pretty big festivals. So it was going great, but I still was hitting a ceiling with them because again, there wasn't really a promotion plan going on around them. There wasn't, proper handling or, or marketing of their new material. They really weren't doing all the right things because that they didn't have a real management at the time. And they, they you know, 
they didn't think that those things were still possible for them. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. is when Cindy kind of came into the picture with our company, um, the booking agency I was with, and we started to pivot them towards uh, working on a managerial basis and doing some things to build, which probably was exemplified when Cindy brought them to South by Southwest in 2013. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when they said to me, so what do you think you can do here? I said, well, the first thing we need to do is take them to South By. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I had pro- I had been to like 12, 12 South By. <laughs> so I'd put in my time there. I, I kind of knew the lay of the land completely and could figure out exactly where they needed to be showcased, how they needed to be showcased, uh, what things they needed to be play at um what 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 sessions we needed to do that sort of thing and that south by changed everything it's mm-hmm. just uh it was like they they started to blossom and all of a sudden um they were on their names were on a lot more lips you know mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it also changed uh two things actually happened that year that that really shaped and changed and one was something i did which was south by southwest and one was something that chris did which was that was the first time we did the moody blues cruise Hmm. and we they won the band won everyone on that cruise over i i i hate to say it but i'm pretty sure we stole a lot of moody moody's fans (laughs) i mean not to say that they weren't still moody's fans they would still go and follow them but but suddenly we started seeing these t-shirts that would be um dotting you know our audience mm-hmm. it would be that it was funny because that year our audience changed a lot you could see the dots of moody blues and then you could see the dots of younger people mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. where all of a sudden we were getting a much larger uh younger audience and actually now it's Almost fifty-fifty, almost fifty percent of the audience yeah. is under forty. Right. You know, mostly, and most of that under thirty actually, right. which is awesome. Now, all I this... really enjoy now when I get uh, a request from someone when we're playing, uh, uh, you know, an over eighteen venue, even <laughs> saying, "Is there any way I can get into soundcheck to see a little bit?" Because I'm only sixteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I usually do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. So uh, I want to ask, in light of the Me Too movement, and this is rolling along, would you, did you feel, Cindy, that you were taken seriously with the, uh, you know, just with bringing this band back, or were you waved off at all and so on? Oh, there was no waving. I mean, I have to say, I was kind of, um, like I said, I'd been to 12 South Bys. I Mm-hmm. I might have gotten brushed off a lot when I had gotten, you know, I was bringing in a brand new act and I was trying to get them a good showcase. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I was pretty savvy and I said to myself, oh, hell no, I'm taking the zombies there, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I, it was, I didn't get everything I wanted the first year. I wanted Rolling Stone in the worst way. I didn't get the Rolling Stone party that year. Mm-hmm. But I got Pace Magazine and I didn't get, um, like Stubbs Barbecue, which is like this gigantic outdoor venue. Yes. Um, 
you know, I didn't get that my first time, but I got that in 2015. Right. So I kind of just went, okay, I'm getting what I'm getting, but but with open arms, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we 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 got a panel, which is what I wanted. I wanted them to have their own panel. We and we were definitely and it, it was funny. Now looking back, if we'd gotten everything that first year, I do think they would have keeled over because <laughs> it was such a uh, culture shock. <laughs> you know, these guys step into Austin and all of a sudden, you know, it's not a place where things stop for dinner. It's constant, not yeah. nonstop thousands of people in the street at all times and we have a tight schedule and by the way guys follow me here follow me there we're going mm-hmm. here next we're, mm-hmm. we're talking to this person next you know it was yeah. amazing and, and by the way most of the most of the pa systems are broken in some way and you're not gonna oh, get yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah oh and by the way i'm your new girl <laughs> you right. know it exactly. was kind of it, they didn't they didn't um funny the very first show that we did was a defining moment because i knew we had i had accepted this show first um i knew we had to do it it was an outdoor show uh but i knew the pa system was really really weak and so i kept thinking to myself we have to do an acoustic performance we have to because Mm. if the full band gets up there this thing is going to blow up and they're not going to ever forgive me, you know? Mm-hmm. That's going to be the end of that. But it's, again, it's my very first conversation with a genius musician, mm-hmm. Rod Argent, who's a perfectionist and wants things done in a certain way every single time. So he's, I'll never forget, we're sitting there in a cafe and he's kind of arguing with me a little, saying, well, you know, it just doesn't make sense. We should be out there with a full band and... And, and I don't think anybody would care to hear us any other way than that. And 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 I said, well, listen, I know we just started working together, but I feel that if you go out there, you're going to sound full band. You're going to sound terrible. Mm-hmm. But we can just whet their appetites and just get the rumors going around South by if we just do this small acoustic set, mm-hmm. just you and Colin. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, it was a defining moment because he bought it. But when the act before them finished, you know, there's probably like 25 minutes between bands, 15, 20 minutes somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. The people that were sitting on the field rushed the stage, mm-hmm. and the guys were going, "What are those people doing?" I'm like, "They're getting close. They want to see you." Mm. They're like, "Really?" And at that time, there was a very famous DJ from a very famous station, which I'll leave nameless, who had ignored me for a million years <laughs> and had never taken any of my calls, had never, you know, given me the time of day. And I found her trying to sneak backstage to get a photo. Mm. And I remember smiling at her and looking down at her badge and saying, Hi, can I help you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was just trying to see if I could. And I said, would you like to take a picture from them, you know, from the side of the stage? Oh, 
yes, I would. I was like, great. Mm. And I knew right then and there that everything was going to change in my career. Right. You know? Right. That doors were just going to open and, you know, mm-hmm. it was just going to all work out. Mm-hmm. And I also remember there was another cool moment because, again, no one in my office had ever been to South by. You know, uh, they were, it was a booking agency. You, mm-hmm. As a booking agency, you don't think of South by so much, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. not a paid performance most of the time. And, um, and so, you know, so I remember having this huge, uh, discussion, I'll put it as a discussion with my then boss about how I had gotten them a slot with Waterloo records on the Saturday. And she kept thinking, she said, kept saying to me, you know, Cindy, you cannot put a band like this, an established band uh, you know, at a record store at noon, at noon, she's like, it's just, it's going to be an embarrassment. There's going to be like five people there. It's, it's just, you can't do that to them. And I kept trying to explain to her, this is South by Southwest. It's very different. It's Waterloo records. They have this whole thing. They put a stage outside. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And at the end of this whole two, three week discussion, she looks at me and she says, okay, if you really feel that strong, then I'm going to let you do it, but this is on you. If you succeed, it's on you, and if you fail, it's on you. Mm-hmm. I want you to take the full responsibility, and I said, absolutely, I will. And at the time, again, they were way more familiar with Chris than me. You know, he'd been working with them for years. Mm-hmm. So I was traveling separately, and <laughs> I called them. I said, you know, where are we supposed to park? And he said, oh, my God, Cindy. He was like, there's so many people here, and we're still an hour out. And I just kind of gently smiled to myself, and I said, cool, where do we park? He told me where. I showed up, and by the time they went on, we had over 2,500 people standing outside waiting for at least an hour to see them. It was incredible. Yeah, it's great. And I just took a 10-second video, and I like sent it over saying, Hey, I did okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I remember yeah, the first time I, I went there and somebody before I got, when I, before I went there the first time, somebody said, you know, there's, um, you're going to see like in one night you'll see there's like 17 clubs on sixth street, but they said 70 and I thought they meant 17, hmm. but they were telling oh, the yeah. truth. There was 70 and the, every band, you know, oh. like in the windows going, just That's going right perfect. down the street. It's, it's it's incredible to see that and see all that yeah. freshness and all that live music, you know. Sure. It just has that so much energy. And I was back there about two years ago, not for South, but I was back there just in uh, June visiting. And I have a picture of a, um, a parking um, sign on the, yeah. on, on by the curb that says, no parking, musician load-in. And I've never seen that in my life. But it was the greatest sign. No, I think it's imagine. a beautiful thing. One thing that Austin does do, it takes care of musicians. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It, it is really a musician city. But I, I remember, yeah, like the first one, the first South by that I went to, you, I actually found a bar that had a window stage. And they would stream the music inside, and they would stream the music outside. Mm-hmm, yep. And 
that's where I got my first band to play during dinner. When you could do that, you could never do that now. Yeah. It's it's booked for you know everything's booked. Yeah. The the back then you could do a few guerrilla showcases. Mm-hmm. Now every like half of everything that's going on is a guerrilla showcase. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. In fact, it, honestly, it's become slightly uncomfortable at times. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, it's different. But yeah. the energy is still outrageous, and it's funny. It. Back in the day, you could start on a Wednesday, and Wednesday would be quiet. Thursday would be quiet. Friday would liven up, and Sunday would be insane. Mm-hmm. And now I'm showing up on a Tuesday night, and it's insane. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> you know? You're like, wait a minute. How am I going to ever survive five days of this? Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. All right, Cindy and Chris, we're going to have Shannon D'Amour, Shannon of Love. She's going to read a question for you via tweet, if you don't mind. Okay. Sure. Hello. Uh, this one is from Tim uh, at TS4197. Uh, it's for Cindy, and he asks, what would you say is the most important factor of the emergence of the zombies again in America? And what advice do you have for small bands that can't seem to get their content to reach the audience they're trying to connect with? Mm-hmm. Hi, Tim. <laughs> okay, what's the, the single most important thing for the band? It's hard to say. We built, a, we, we built a team. We built a solid team, and we've done one thing after another, after another, after another, and we've built. It's been building blocks, you know? I mean, yes, maybe it's that first South By, but we've had... Defining moment after defining moment after defining moment, and we're gonna we're about to have two or three more. We're in the process of doing a documentary, and that's gonna be huge. So there's so you know it's so much. Uh, I will let Chris answer the rest of that question, but I will say to the other part of it, to the how is a band gonna get noticed in this day and age? Play and play and play and play and play. Play till you cannot play anymore. Somebody out there will see you, you know? Do your social media, do your stuff, but play. Playing live is worth everything, you know? Get, look, we manage a band called Hollis Brown. They kick ass. They've been grinding for years, but what they can do is deliver a killer live show. If you don't have a killer live show, you can't get a team. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a team, you've got no, you know, you you need that, you need that live performance first. Mm -hmm. And then you need to work, work hard and then work till you get a manager. And then when you get a manager, work harder than that. Mm Because a lot of people like to slack off after they get a manager. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. Keep working harder. Bring opportunities to your manager for your manager to make them better. Don't just sit around waiting for something to happen. Mm-hmm. And then Chris can answer what he thinks the defining moment for the zombies was. <laughs> I don't know. Your answer was better, actually. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> well, here, here I have a question for, for both of you because you both worked for a bit at TCI, which was a Talent Consultants International and a booking agency, and which, Chris, you mentioned yeah. earlier. But... TCI also had a management arm to it. And what about 
say, New York and L.A., where apparently it's illegal to be a manager and also a booking agent. How did, how were you able to ha have both of those arms within the same company? And, and I know you still do booking, Chris, for the zombies now. So how do you do that if The Rocks is a management company? Oh, I don't actually. I, I, uh, I was convinced to fire myself as their booking agent. <laughs> yep, I convinced him. Oh, really? By, and also, yeah. Uh, Why? Well, I, I, it was not something that was going to be long term, um, and we did pretty quickly transition them to a different booking agency when we took over full management. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, look, there's again. First of all, I was not running that company, <laughs> but yeah, there, were, there was actually a separate company uh, within there used for management purposes, and also really, in the end. I believe it's mainly something that can be used as a wedge to break a contract with a art between an artist and a manager. If, uh, you know, if they were found to have booked them and at least the, you know, case law in California might support that. But in the end, if, if an artist is in a situation where they can get more benefit by having their manager book them because they're not yet at the level where they can really be serviced by a booking agency, then I really don't see the harm in that. Mm -hmm. And if it's something that's up front and disclosed between all the parties and you're not being greedy, um, I think it's you know not a terrible crime to have mm -hmm. happen within the industry, especially these days because the, the traditional lines in our industry have been blurred so much. And quite frankly, these days, managers in one day can be record label booking agent, publicist, psychologist mm -hmm. and and Baby mommy sitter. and daddy right. yeah uh so right i really don't see it as a i, I understand there's definitely definitely ethical implications there i know we did the right thing at the time when it was right to move we moved them to a bigger booking agency than we were mm -hmm. and and it worked out um so and yeah i think uh i think there's a lot of nuances there that Again, if you do put it, you know, to protect yourself, you put it in a contract, and you 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 define, you know, that this will be, you know, we're earning this much when we're booking you and we're managing you, and then when we agree that it's time to move to a different booking agency, it changes, and you know, you, know, you basically spell these things out, and that will at least give you whatever level of protection you're going to have in a contract these days. It's it's really not illegal. You just need a license. You need an employment well, license. Well, booking agency needs a license. Agent. Well, again, if you have a state a license, agency needing you a license is, is even uh, is even I think by city and and county and state. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. As long yeah, as you have a license, agency needs a license if you do, and managers don't really. Right. Well, that's. I mean, it's the same. It's the same problem that Dave and I always counsel students come in here. They have a band, and they say, "Well, we need management. Why?" Well, we need more gigs. Well, you need a booking agent. You don't need a manager. Exactly. You know, and that's the first thing they say. We want to get more gigs. Well, then you didn't take our course, did you? Or you, you were sleeping. No. Either one. And quite honestly, we're not going to be able to get you more gigs. than you, Like, you need to go out there and get them for yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, honestly, you need to build your fan base before you come to us. Like, mm -hmm. you, you need... And, and I know that's hard. It's not easy. But if you're good enough and 
you hustle enough and you play enough, you will build a fan base. It might only be 15, 20 people in this city. Or, you know, like when Hall- by the time Hollis Brown came to us, they could easily bring in 100 people in New York City at least. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Depending on the show, there would be more. But mm-hmm. that was necessary. Now we've helped them grow to where they're doing that at most places across the country. And some place, you know, in New York City, they're doing even better than that. But it, people have this misconception that once I get a manager, everything will be better. And no, we work on commission. Mm-hmm. At least any good manager does. You know, mm-hmm. we work on commission. So if you're not making money, we're not making money. And maybe that's cool. Maybe you think that, you know, hey, you can work with me. We'll, we'll make the, things don't grow overnight. Mm-hmm. Now, six months later, we're still not making money. A year later, we're still not making money. <laughs> There's not a manager in the world that's going to be able to sustain that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You've got to do your part and really work hard being an artist. I remember when I was younger, I wanted to be an actress and I went to a, a great acting teacher and he told me, Cindy, is there anything else in the world you could do? <laughs> and I thought, well, yeah, I could do this or I could do that. He goes, then please, you're awesome. Go do that. This is the hardest gig you'll ever find. And I believe that's the same for music. If there's anything else in the world that you can do to go out there and make money and make a living and be happy doing, go do that. Mm -hmm. Because being a successful musician is hard work, and you have to want it more than you want anything else. Mm -hmm. You have to be willing to pass up good times with your friends. You have to be willing to forget about that vacation that you really want to take. You have to, like, make it your number one priority and really just kind of... And you have to be good. So if there's no... If you don't have... You can have all the passion in the world. You don't have the talent. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just not going to happen. You know, it's very unlikely that anything will happen. But if you have both and the dedication, then you, then then come find me. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? Then we're interested mm-hmm. because if you're putting the time in and growing your fan base to more than 10 people and half of those are your family, <laughs> um, then, then you're do you know, you, you have the ability to build something. Mm-hmm. Cindy, you said a while, uh, there's a great interview online with you, both of you. Uh, Larry LeBlanc did it on a celebrity. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Right. It's a really Larry good... tell off. Yes, it, 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 yeah. That's where we. Um, it's almost like I don't even know why we're talking to you because you said everything in that. But uh, <laughs> we we why should. Why did you just read it? I know. I'm just going to read the whole interview to, to everybody, and I'll, I'll imitate the po- the two of you. I have a great Cindy imitation, but <laughs> this is so exciting. But hey, one of the things you said in the interview is you said that yes. preparation is 90% of the success that bands have. Can you, ex- you said that, but there was no explanation. Can you kind of dive a little deeper into what you meant by that? Well, so in, in everything we do, the preparation is 90%. It's like, 
by the time you're going in for that performance, by the time you're the 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 the, the deal closing, so to speak, is just the end little piece. You've had to put so much time into it. For example, let's say with the zombies, right? We're we're doing this documentary. We're doing it now. We're putting the pieces together now, but most of it is, you know, making up lists, making up who, we, you know, lists of who we have to talk to, uh, things we want to cover. I've been doing that for years, you know. We've been planning this. Chris and I and our team have been talking through the difficult parts of it for years. Mm-hmm. Now we just found the right people with the financing, with the, you know, with the added whatever. And now it's, we're banging it out. It's, it's getting done so quickly. The preparation, the, 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 that takes the time. So, for example, with a brand new band, they should be doing months and months and months of planning, prep, preparing, and everything before they do a big showcase. Like, for example, Mondo is in the city right this week, right? Mondo. Oh, yes. Um, it's music in music conference, right? right? In Brooklyn or city, yes. Right. So for these bands that are that are that are sitting here playing, we have a we have a guy that's playing tomorrow night. His name is AJ Smith. We've been preparing for this one little showcase for months. What's he going to wear? What songs are he is he going to play? How is he going to play them? Um, he happens to be a multi instrumentalist, you know, who can like loop things. So. What song are you going to start with? How are you going to arrange that? You know, uh, what's what's the vibe of the show going to be? Who do we need to invite? What are the the things that need to be done in place? It's by the time the show comes, that's just the ten percent. That's just you know, it's the best part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the fun part. How involved? All the hard work has already been done. How involved do you get you in know? the? How involved do you get in the A and R of a show, for example? Because you just mentioned you, you you talk about you know what songs he's going to perform. I'm sorry, I can barely hear you. That that's my fault, and I take full responsibility for um, mumbling. How? Uh, and I just I had, what was my question, Doctor Esteban? Uh, how much do you take part in the A and R of the show? Yes. As much as the artist will allow. Mm-hmm. So you want to be usually a, usually a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> usually a little bit more than they're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you have to remember that an artist is someone that's actually going out there and, and putting themselves up on display. And yes. constructive criticism after a show is not always something you want to hear. Mm-hmm. Or even going up to a show, it's something that can psych you out. So it's it's delicate, but it's... It's important, and it's important that your client, you know, gets into a place where they can hear that from you and respect it and understand yes. it. Yes, mm-hmm. and, and, and that does take a little bit of time. But, for example, when we were going to do the, uh, the Zombies just opened for, the, for Arcade Fire at the Greek Theater in L.A. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's freaking awesome, right? Mm-hmm. But, and I, I would never, ever, ever in the past have gotten in the middle of a set list and, and made suggestions to Rod. Chris has done that more so because they have developed that relationship over the years. Well, now it's years. Yeah. Now it's five years later. And I started thinking about the set list and I started saying to him, you know, 
Rod, this is the crowd that's going to, they're going to be the ones that are going to be listening to the podcast. So we had a Rose for Emily in S-Town last year, and my God, 16 million downloads in one, you know, just week one. I'm like, maybe you should throw that into the set. <laughs> and then he started to consider it, and then he started changing the set list. And then he, you know, and then I had to leave him alone because you can only say so much. Mm-hmm. You have to be respectful. Then he came back to me, and he's like, all right, I moved some things around. How's this? And I, was th- look- I looked down at it, and I thought, cool. This is a great set list, but also cool because we've gotten to a place where I can say something. I can explain to you why I think you should do it and then leave you alone and let you make up your own mind because, let's face it, he's a genius, and they've been doing this for years. Mm-hmm. Who am I to really tell him anything except for, hey, this is the crowd you're playing to? You know, mm-hmm. maybe you could throw something in that would 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 appeal to them. Mm-hmm. Great. So uh, we 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 do it, but we do it with careful consideration and respect. If that makes, you know, it makes good makes sense. sense. It makes sense. Yeah. So it's, it's almost like you, in the end, you're not in a position to question an artist artistic judgment but you are there to maybe give them a little nudge if they're making a decision out of insecurity or, or perspective yeah. or perspective mm-hmm. you know sometimes they're they're too close to a situation and they can't quite see it so we can just say hey how about looking at it this way and then you think it through mm-hmm. great uh shannon is going to read another tweet to you. And keep in mind that Shannon's interning now for AGI, Artist Group International, and she has a question about TCI. Legendary agent there. Yes. Yeah. So FYI, here is her. So this question is from myself. And uh, I asked, uh, what lessons did you guys learn from TCI that helped you when it came to uh, independently managing bands on your own? Well, I mean, geez, I mean, for myself, I kind of learned the entire industry while I was at TCI because I was there for, you know, more than half my life. Um, <laughs> so I, le- I, I would say there I learned what I learned the most, honestly, was the, the owner of the company, Margot, started her career as a musician. She a seminal all-girls group from the 60s called Golden and Gingerbreads. And she had spent a good part of her career as a musician before going into the business. And she taught me about really, you know, respecting an artist, understanding what they go through, what life is actually like on the road, uh, you know, sort of putting that respect and passion into the business, not putting the business first. Um, and I think long-term you can you see in this business that if you do the right thing for the music and for the artist over the long term, whether or not you have an immediate success or failure over the long term, you will be successful and people will come to you. And there's just karma in this business Mm -hmm. because people go up and down all the time. Um, So that's kind of what I picked up from it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for me, I would say, the biggest thing that I learned is how to be part of a team 
how to find my place in the team, how to create my space in the team, and also what kind of boss I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Do you have a follow-up? No, I think that's perfect. Thank you for that. Fine. You're welcome. <laughs> I will say there's, it, it, it is, I think, any opportunity you have going into this industry to experience some of the realities of an artist's life, especially going on the road, is crucial. Because if you don't know what that's really like, you know, going to the show in New York City and saying hi backstage is not the experience. Mm -hmm. Spending even a week of that lifestyle is something that you kind of need to know and have. Um, you need to know what these people are actually experiencing out there before you start, you know, spinning your big picture around them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The question about sort of, um, and you alluded to this in that other interview, but again, want to kind of dive a little deeper because I think most of the, our listeners don't know that you do this and don't really understand it. The band, the main band that you're managing, or the biggest band, is the Zombies, and they are not based in yeah. the United States. They're based in the UK. Mm -hmm. And involved in that then are visas and work permits. So can you kind of go through what you need to do to get a band overseas to come here and maybe even vice versa to get your uh, domestic bands that's to go overseas? What are some of the things you need to go through? That's completely Chris's department. Yeah, I'm afraid that's my nightmare. <laughs> um, so I will say this. I've been doing it a long time, and the process has gotten more and more difficult. Uh, not easier. So... You need to have a band come and legally work in the United States from a foreign country, no matter what country that is, except there's, I think, some exceptions for Canadians. Um, you, and by the way, if you don't come in legally, and if you figure, hey, I'm just doing these three gigs for, you know, for 50 bucks a night, um, you do actually run the risk of being banned from entering this country for seven years. So it's, you know, it's a risk. And you need to prepare months in advance. I advise strongly going through a specialist. And you basically need to document to the U.S. government that uh, you are, in fact, there's some sort of need for you to be here to perform. Um, there's different levels of visas. Um, there, Most of them, the you can get for a max of one year, some are for three years. Um, you have to basically prove that you're going to be consistently working over the term of that visa, um, or at least provide some evidence that you're working. And you have to document that you've accomplished something in your field, you know, provide press clippings. It's, it's a nightmare of paperwork, and there's a, a, a union AF of MC to pay on top. There's, and if you are... I think under the gun timing-wise, you're going to have to pay an extra $1,000, $2,000 for premium processing. Mm -hmm. I mean, this easily can run five or $6,000 um, if you're doing it through a service. And you basically, you're just kind of putting yourself out there into the wind and hoping that nothing comes back with a rejection. Because then you're going to have to start it over again. Um, mm -hmm. And that's just of the puzzle. Oh, I'm sorry. And then once you actually get approved in America, then you have to set up an appointment at the American consulate in your country and go there and drop off your passport and leave it for several days and hope you get it back in time to fly to the U.S. for your tour. Um, 
And that's just one thing. Then there's the IRS, who mm-hmm. now basically expects any band coming to the United States to have a full budget in place and submitting to the IRS 45 days before the first show. Otherwise, they compel all the promoters to withhold 30% off the top mm. of their earnings. And most bands that are coming to the U.S., 30% is not even their price. You can basically go into a loss situation, and that 30% of your money is going to sit at the IRS until you file a tax return the following year and wait to get a refund. Um, they're both very difficult processes, and I've now been informed that the IRS is not even granting these central withholding agreements to bands that are earning under a certain amount of money a year, which seems to basically penalize developing and baby bands who will now have to come up with an extra 30% of funding to come over here and try to break even and then wait a year to get that uh, tax refund back. So sadly, our country does not make it easy for foreign bands to tour here. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it's interesting. need help doing it. Uh, there's, a, there's actually a nonprofit company out of Brooklyn called Thomas Dot that is very good at helping developing acts that are coming over here with more reasonable rates and helping them navigate the process. And again, there's exceptions for going to shows like South by Southwest. But again, if you go to South by Southwest under this exception visa, then and if you play one paid gig the next day, you can, again, you know, boot it out of the country. <laughs> yeah. We don't want that. And unfortunately, we have to boot you off the radio. Ah. Oh, dear. Because we've run out of time and, and you didn't fill out the proper paperwork to actually be on American <laughs> Airwaves. Right. So the, so we should give some thanks, Dr. Esteban, shouldn't we? Yes. Yes, we want to thank Cindy De Silva and Chris Tuthill of The Rocks Management for being yes. on the air. Very interesting. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Chris, did I say, I said Tuthill. Is it Tuthill? Tuthill. What? Like King Tut on the hill. Okay, Tuthill. Okay, no so clip. Chris Tuthill. So thank you, Chris. Thank tennis you. Player. Thank you, Cindy. Sounds it's, like a tennis yeah. player. Yeah, you could be a tennis player, Chris, after yes. this in your second career because you're still young. So one more time, thank you, Cindy. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, it, was, it was fun, and uh, keep sending us students. All right. <laughs> we will do so. So thank you thank again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Interview over. For the next five hours, we're going to sing. The She's not there. I'm going to sing uh-huh. some of those numbers. No, we're not going to sing. Ashley's like, get off the air. Okay. So this has been Music Biz 101 more. We do want to thank Ashley Weltner, our engineer extraordinaire. Yes. Thank you, Ashley. We also have Shannon of Love. Shannon de yes. Shannon de And next week we have... I will tell you. Next week... Amy. We, um, your friend. Yeah. Actually, you, you're supposed to come back next week. How do you say her last name? Shiaretto. Amy Shiaretto from Adam Splitter PR. Yes. And we got to Amy because of Shannon Diamore. Can you come back next week? Um, I cannot. But... Great. We'll find somebody uh, <laughs> worthy of being here next week. And then after that, your friend George Gilbert, music right, industry attorney. Uh, November 14th, Harvey Leeds. November 20th, Jake Posner, the manager for Arizona. So we have some uh, pretty mm-hmm. awesome and cool and educationing guests on the way and here. Adam Splitter PR is in. They are based in Rutherford. Ah, yes. Okay. Which is in the United States of America. Yes. So, so, uh, Dr. Stavon Marconi, thank you yes. very much for being on and the And my co host, too. Thank you for coming in with such a uh, 
We see the swelling is up again on the uh, foot. The, the foot is hurting. And he has the old, uh, what was his name, Kurt Schilling? Blood on the sock, That's I right. That's yes. right. I am. I'm going to sew my sock to the Hall of Fame. Badly. That's right. So um, your, your painful Professor David Kirkfield wishes you all the best from my heart to yours. And at the end of every show, we do not say hello because that'd be silly because at the end of the show. So join me, Shannon, because at the end of every show, we do say Tune in radio station, part of the William Patterson Broadcast Network.